Yeah, I'm excited to, to talk with you. Uh, yeah, how, yeah, it's nice to see you. How is life? And uh, is this slow season now, technically? In um, is there uh, ever you know, we call it sane season. Um, nice. You know, nothing, and it's <laughs> it's really more about getting back to um, office retrenching things like that. We have a busier March than usual, um, so. Uh, so we're, we're about to, we actually have weddings every weekend, the rest of March. So, uh, so that's one wow. way which makes slow season, um, sort of a misnomer, but also just having a child means that it's, you know, you know, uh, being home is often more active mm-hmm. and, and intensive than <laughs> at work. So, uh, so it's yeah, another way. That's gotta be an interesting, impossible adjustment <laughs> it's just always a moving target i'm sure with your schedule uh trying to trying to find a balance between everything but yeah, yeah i just delivered my last wedding and now i have three weeks before my next one i'm doing a little bit of traveling and stuff but it is a very unsettling feeling to not have like anything to deliver right now it's yeah weird. yeah that we usually get like we'll get there has been years where we've had exactly one day where we had nothing to deliver we're like oh yeah. it's our one day vacation um <laughs> yeah there's yes. there's always there's up but there's always something to do you know there's, there's yeah that's that's true and, and you know there are many times in the year where i don't have anything due but like I have something that will be due in a week. So yeah. that's what's particularly strange about this situation. I literally have nothing to do <laughs> except um, play around with new cameras and stuff, which yeah. I don't have the the R with me. I have the RP, which which one did you actually pick up? It's the R? I picked up the R, R. yeah. Cause I've been, okay, cool. I don't even think the RP was out when I started. It's been a few weeks. Um, but of course, um, yeah. you know, the, the shoots we were doing now, not only, uh, well, we're, again, we're going into a bunch of weddings, but uh, we ha- it's been more than a month since, uh, since our weddings. And so, unfortunately, the shoots we've been doing now are shoots that people could postpone because of bad weather. Uh, yeah. so, um, so we had shoots postponed. Um, but I just did our, our first, like, pro shoot. And even, actually, really our first shoot, like, leaving our own house uh, with the ER a couple days nice. ago. So, yeah. So I wanted, <laughs> important. I, I wanted to wait yeah. for that. And there's a lot of things that we did learn uh, being in our house, especially because our lights are really prone to, uh, to banding. Because uh, we've got the yeah, lights. Yeah, the Patreon article you, you wrote there. Um, so you're coming from a couple of years shooting mirrorless Sony, right? Has it been a year or two years shooting that? Yeah. So, so just, I think a little background for both of us. I'll I'll let you fill in your own background, but I I can fill in your background for other people because uh, the thing (laughs) is um, it's probably a little too pat to like, um, you know, people want to see this as like a Sony versus Canon. And, um, but in a lot (laughs) of ways we have way more overlap in our preferences and backgrounds and styles. So, uh, so Mm -hmm. like you, uh, for a very long time, I was Nikon DSLR uh, shooter primarily, but also, yeah. also like you, also always dabbled. You know, so I, I first dual wielded Nikon and Canon in like 2006. There's been weddings where I've been using Nikon, Fuji, Hasselblad. Um, I've used Olympus, Panasonic. Like we're 
there's reasons none of us neither of us are sponsored by anybody because we really <laughs> I, I walked yeah. into the nikon offices one day and they were like hey nice camera i totally forgot that i brought my olympus with me oh. <laughs> so so that's really not a good way to uh to get yeah sponsors. those companies are sh- i just spoke uh at field trip and i was not sponsored or anything but i was speaking in like the canon paid for area yeah and canon stuff was everywhere and i had a lot of good things obviously to say about canon but i also had a lot of bad things too that i realized uh they kind of didn't maybe appreciate uh yeah but it's i think you know a pretty critical and oftentimes lost aspect of you know people that do express their opinion in technology they, they have a bias an extreme bias because something has been given to them or maybe they are completely sponsored or whatever mm-hmm. as tempting as it would be to say yes if canon or nikon or whoever did approach me or i'd imagine you i, I think i'd have to say no because it just completely uh undermines everything no matter what you say to people there is an ethical dilemma there that can't be uh, balanced <laughs> ever yeah. again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and so, so I came originally from journalism. Even uh, even before photojournalism, I was in print journalism. And you think very, very deeply about um, about both ethical quandaries, but also the perception of ethical. You know, even if you're doing everything right, but it yeah. looks like something may uh, cause bias in you. Th- those are huge issues. And but what's interesting. And I'm even like thinking about this right now. Everything, in a way, has some sort of at least perception of of, of ethical of bias, if not if not ethical bias. So obviously, sure. if you're flown around the world and, and given all this money, especially if you are given more money for a certain kind of review, like that's a big deal. Especially if you don't disclose it. If even if you're uh, you know even if you're not, what's interesting is one of the things I liked about the the Patreon model and and where I feel like I've, I've sort of at least moved away from from as much perception of bias as possible is even when working just like doing articles and like having B&H or Adorama or Amazon affiliate, whatever it is, you're not sponsored by these companies, but you do make money only if people then buy the product. So you're, you're more likely to right. say, yeah. at least the perception is you're more likely to say, hey, this is cool. You should really, you should, you should buy it. Now, of course, the money was so minuscule <laughs> that <laughs> like, who, you know, uh, it, yeah. it really wasn't a thing, but it's a perception of bias. But even if you're just a person on the street and, and you're not making any money for anything, we're all biased. There is a bias toward the things that we have, because as soon as you spend money on something, um, you know, as long as you sort of get over that initial hump of like, oh my gosh, is this garbage? And, you know, and then you're really biased against it. Um, then you, you've bought, you've literally bought into it, but you have, because you like want to support the, you made the choices for a reason, but you also want to say like, oh yeah, this was good. So like yeah. when you spend $20,000, $50,000 on a system, there's a reason that people become fanboys and, you know, and, and that's part of it. Yeah. So like, <laughs> you know, I, I can tell you right now, like, you know, can could come out with the best you know, thing that's ever happened to photography and it's like am i going to switch no because i just i just lost about thirty thousand dollars switching to sony <laughs> you know uh, yeah, from the nikon seriously. system <laughs> um yeah so so that's a little bit of the ba- of sort of the ethical background for both of us but um basically uh to actually answer your question um i uh started the transition from Nikon to Sony in, uh, but I picked up the A7R2 in December 2015. 
Um, and, and that was just, I just had the adapter. I had like the 50 0 0.95 and, and maybe just a couple little lenses like the, like the 28. Um, yeah, I seem to remember you being much more excited about the whole system with, tell me if I'm wrong, but per that particular adapter that enabled the 50.95 to autofocus, like, or, or maybe oh, it was a lens that had autofocus. That was the time where I feel like I saw an uptick in Sony images where whatever, whatever yeah. lens or adapter combo it was, you were able to shoot 50.95 yeah. with well, autofocus. Well, I, yeah. so the 59.5 uh, that I use at least, because I know there's, there's like a tech art adapter that allows you to manual focus or autofocus the Leica. Um, but I, yeah, I've never actually used that because I don't use the Leica one um, because, um, yeah. you know, again, the Leica one's $10,000. I use the $800 um, <laughs> yeah. Jupiter or Mitocon or, you know, whatever it is. And um, it's just been, it's awesome. It's quirky. It's bokeh. It's super weird. Uh, occasions it's great. In some occasions it's awful. And to me, um, it w after so many years of Nikon, um, it was great and fun to have a lens that was really imperfect and super weird, but that, that you could still use because of the, of being able to actually see the depth of field through the EVF and things like that. Yeah. Because often the, 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 the problem and, you know, quote problem, uh, with the, the Nikon, you know, the, the Nikon lenses was that they were so optically perfect, so well, yeah. um, protected <laughs> against flare, uh, you know, and things like that. So, you know, I'd see like, oh my, like I bought two different 5Ds just to have the, the 51.2, partially because of its, its imperfections and partially because, you know, that cinematic yeah. circular flare or like, you know, you could, you could literally be shoot literally in the sun. You could be shooting from the location inside the sun and you still wouldn't get enough flare from the, the Nikon lenses. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember. So did you ever actually shoot with the Nikon 58 1.4? Cause that was, it's, that was their only sort of like character yeah. lens of modern times. I and, shot it. Yeah. I, you know, I tested it, uh, back. It might've been still on the D 750. I think it was before the D five and, and the, uh, the autofocus, you know, again, it, it gets to one of the things in, in one of the other things that we have shared, which is, um, the reasons we have an affinity for mirrorless. Um, I had a lot of back focus and, and focus issues on the 58 and, and I, I don't believe I ever tried it on the D5, which, uh, especially with their micro focus adjustments really was as good as it gets with, uh, with DSLR autofocus. It probably would have been better. Um, but it was just, yeah. it was just sort of a frustrating, like I actually, I, I wish, uh, that I'd still had the, uh, the 58 one, two that I sold you way back when. <laughs> <laughs> and that though, I did sell off most of my Nikon stuff. That's one I'm, I'm keeping. Yeah. <laughs> as an investment at this point. Uh, yeah, so yeah. If you want to buy it back, you can pay a little R more. Right, for, <laughs> you know, $10,000, sure. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, um, yeah, but we've, uh, so I so I slowly, 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 slowly got into the system. It really, because uh, the A7R2, for a lot of different reasons, one, one fun one that we'll get into later is that it only had one card slot, um, is mm. that, uh, so I didn't want to use it as, uh, too much of a, of a main body, but I did, you know, it didn't have the best autofocus and things like that. So, um, I used mm -hmm. the, the D five to do most of the, the heavy hitting. And it was really when the, when the A nine came out and it looked like you could kind of have in most ways, the best of both worlds, you know, with the, the autofocus performance and, and, you know, finally enough that I felt, felt like I could move away from the D5s. Tatiana in ways, uh, my business life, partner um she she in ways actually adapted to 
the autofocus performance of the A9 <clears throat> um, even even more naturally than I did. And so she <laughs> she actually is the one that now dual wheels the A9s, and I picked up an A7 III as sort of our final final investment in the system. Wow. So 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 I do regularly use the A9 and A7 III, which is a more direct comparison that we'll be talking about today. Um, but yeah, I still love playing around uh, with cameras in general. Been using mostly around the house, but uh, you know, for uh, for a full day shoot on Saturday, the R. And um, this was not a wedding shoot; we were doing a, a full day photojournalistic shoot with a family. Uh, so in a way, it's kind of in between. You know, you get a lot of different scenarios. Yeah, no, that's actually really great. I mean, uh, one of the first sessions I did, I mean, I've been shooting with the R now for for months, uh, maybe four weddings total. Um, and or no maybe five or six but uh yeah well, the the first big shoot i did with it was a family session i was like well i'm gonna just put it through its paces and throw on the 50 f 1.0 which is a canon made mm-hmm. autofocusing lens that they just made for a few years and i had tried that lens adapted on a sony system forever and yeah I, you know i tried it through many different Sony bodies and I just, it, it never had a hit rate that I was happy with probably more the adapter that I was using or a couple of adapters I went through than anything else. Anyway, when I threw it on the R and I was able to capture kids <coughs> in motion, running around and moving and have a keep rate where I was able to approach uh, in calling with the assumption that it was going to be in focus more often than not, I knew that uh, at least one major hurdle of, of the Canon mirrorless system was crossed in, in a good way. So that, yeah. that's, um, <laughs> I mean, I think family sessions in a lot of ways are a really good, I mean, I guess weddings are probably the absolute best test <laughs> for all aspects of uh, yeah. shooting, but, but family sessions are certainly a, a really good second, second option. So it's good you've, you've gone through that, but that's been your only full shoot with it so far that's my my only full day yeah. shoot and so so in certain ways there's things like yeah like weddings are the perfect test because uh among other things um, weddings and events are really there's a lot of things that make them different and one that i hadn't really thought of until i was thinking about this sort of comparison and, and uh things that are important with mirrorless in general is that uh weddings are, are really the one scenario where you're shooting fast dance floor action and like but like all the photos like really matter you know th- these are all mm-hmm. things that you uh that, th- that any one of them could be a really special moment these are all things that you're going to be delivering di- you know directly to the client and each one of them you know could be something that's super important later and so you have all the the issues with you know fast dance floor which is potentially you're in an area so dark you cannot see uh, you know, and, and there's and there's fast and erratic action that you have to photograph in that environment, and that's a unique challenge for mirrorless, in general, because they don't have the the laser guided autofocus yet. Someone has to figure that out. And yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see if it's figure out a bowl. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I, I've been very happy with. I can't actually. Maybe you can lay it out, and you know, we obviously don't have like a set structure to how we want to discuss these two cameras. But while you're on the topic of reception and flash and dancing and all that, I was very concerned with the R not being able to figure out. Like, holy crap! There's no way to not use that. Yeah. 
focus assist light on the camera. This is a problem. Like this is never going to work. In the DSLR days, like that was a joke of a solution that <laughs> most people I don't think ever utilized. Um, but I found the implementation on the R to be excellent. Like, you know, I do miss having uh, a regular non-electric viewfinder um, to be able to see in low light occasionally. But the the R has a really interesting trick where it just artificially boosts using you know the ISO sensitivity of the sensor artificially boosts what it's seeing so that it can autofocus and you can compose but then when you actually take the picture whatever settings you've got set up and the focus assist light on the body just nails it and i tend to shoot with balance flash and using and the only time that i use eye tracking eye and face tracking that's the only time i use this for dance floor stuff because all i have to worry about is having you know the relative bodies kind of where I want compositionally, and then I let the camera choose whatever face is most uh, dominant in the scene. That tends to be the one that it focuses on. So yeah. it's uh, it's interesting, but I can't quite recall how Sony, the only difference that I specifically remember is that Sony cameras do this nice little trick of like briefly showing you the the exposure that you just took. Yeah, right? Remember that? Yeah, like, as yeah, taking, actually. It like, quickly flashes it so you can see your flash power and the overall exposure. Yeah, that comes in. It's, it's actually especially sometimes if you're using like a medium speed SD card, you'll see it just, you know, come up just long enough to like sort of an instant flash chimping, which has, and things like that has been great. But just to uh, to walk people and, and to clarify uh, people who don't do this and are, are or haven't used mirrorless systems, what we're talking about is the sort of the, the infrared, but with that spills over into visible light the, that comes out of flashes specifically, if it's like a little red crosshatch. Uh, it's kind of different between each uh, different flash, flash system. Like the uh, the Photix one is like a, a sniper light. Like you can fire thousands of feet away. Um, and so, and there's a few different uh, issues there. Like, first of all, it's really helpful beyond the visible light spectrum for AF tracking. But again, a lot of these cameras, as long as you can see, uh, you know, they work well enough. But again, sometimes on dance floors, you're in environments where you couldn't see it in the visible light. Um, and so it, there's that issue, but it's actually, for me, it's a smaller issue than the fact that what I trained myself over 10 years to do was to use, uh, use that light to frame. And so on dance floors, I would never, ever, ever look through the viewfinder or LCD or anything. Um, I would just have this basically little sniper light <laughs> that would show me. Yeah, your, your, your frame yeah. of reference relative to yeah. where the, that red laser would land exactly on face. and so i know and like if i'm crazy angles yeah if yeah. i'm shooting with you know and, and this is a little bit uh something that's a little different on how our brains work because you're so you've talked about how like you have to physically see things set up the set up and and like and, and you do marvelous and awesome stuff with that and, and there's a meticulousness in that um but i i am able to like see basically like if i were five three feet over there what would it look like and, what, and so i actually was fa much faster and more responsive and and just fr from never looking at the viewfinder only saying okay i've got a 24 and and the lights on that guy this is what my frame is and and so i shot you know again four hours 
600 shoots, you know, of four hours of dancing each time, a lot of experience that way. And, and so yeah. trying to, uh, trying to reframe myself, even to be able to like look through an LCD and see what the frame is, it's just a little bit slower to me. And, and so I've had to like reteach myself how to shoot that. Um, I think that's a growing pain. A lot of photographers are going to go through with mirrorless and yeah. no matter what, it could be as you know as close as it's probably ever going to be to the DSLR mm -hmm. experience, but you are not going to do as well. You are going to be missing stuff and giving some s stuff up yeah. as you're shooting, at least the first few times you do it, because it's, yeah, your muscle memory is just a different approach. It has to be. Um, I, have you, just as a tangential question, have you seen any other mirrorless cameras that offer EVF or analog viewfinder the way Fuji does? Are they the only ones that offer oh, that? Oh yeah, um, no, no, I haven't. I believe I believe that's yeah. still a Fuji thing, and I don't know if they've got like the trademarks on it, you know, the patents entirely locked down yeah. to make it impossible. But that was, I mean, the the very first time that I tried the X100, you know, <laughs> too many years ago, like eight years ago now. Um, I, you know, <laughs> that first, was the first piece of equipment I ever reviewed. Yeah. It you was know, a and very I, poorly written review. <laughs> <laughs> so I, bad. yeah, I, my first thought was, you know, immediately like mirrorless is future is the future. Like we don't need mirrors. Um, the main thing, because the main thing is a good thing about, uh, low light scenarios is really, you know, when you've got these f1.4 lenses and you've got these sensors that can go to 200,000 ISO, the limiting factor is the human eye. Like it used to be a, a super big deal, uh, you know, uh, with like Stanley Kubrick getting the f0.7 lens and things like that to have camera systems that could see brighter than the human eye. Um, but like now it's every camera, you know, as long as you got a prime, any like decent prime lens on, like you can see much brighter than your eye. And oh my so gosh, the Google pixel, have you seen the, uh, oh, the, crazy. the night vision? Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. even now if you have a phone, so the limiting factor yeah. is that like you can't frame if you can't see. So, uh, so having the EVF and being able to just see in the dark, um, even before you take the photo, uh, is one thing, but, the, but, and so I was like, okay, that's going to be a thing. But I also was just assuming, um, that somehow this technology would spill out and that every camera, no matter what, every, like, you know, the D4, uh, or the, you know, the D5, whenever it came out at that point, that it would have the Fuji style, like it would be mirrorless, but also, also OVF and, and that, that hasn't happened I, at all. I have a feeling that maybe a reason why Fuji has stuck with the uh, crop sensors. Uh, maybe there's some issue with just the physical sensor size and that technology not, not being viable. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, and I, I imagine they just also have some kind of legal lockdown on it and that's why otherwise Olympus or any other APS-C. Um, and, it, and it's yeah. a shame because it would be nice to have to try the best yeah, that's, yeah that's the only way that you could have maybe an easier transition coming from dslr to mirrorless is if, yeah. if you have the option <laughs> of uh seeing uh, through a viewfinder but yeah and so um, um sony kind of like a little bit of a different hybrid they've got the the their a system with the pellicle mirrors that the you know still has the mirror but the light goes through oh um, it's like you, a translucent mirror yeah you lose like a little bit of light system. um yeah. but you get some benefits from there so there, there's a lot of different uh implementations but i think what we're primarily talking about here is just straight up you know both the canon and the sony straight up mirrorless experience um entirely through the evf or, or the, the lcd on the back um and you know i, I feel like that, that what I just mentioned is, is for me is the only drawback uh, of mirrorless mm -hmm. that has any real meaning to my work at all. Otherwise, um, things like you know, 
shooting silently, being able to, uh, to autofocus so in any part of the point. frame. Yeah, you, uh, so with your banding uh, yeah. write-up that I saw more, you know, a couple days ago on Patreon, um, as far as I can tell, I only see banding when, when it is in like screen grab silent mode, right? Yeah. Were you still seeing that? I mean, obviously, maybe at certain shutter speeds, no matter what, you'll see banding depending on the light. Yeah. Uh, but um, I haven't really felt the desire to shoot in, in pure silence. Um, I remember when I tried it in Sony, it was nice to have the option. I maybe did it once or twice. But do you regular, is that like your default mode on Sony is, is pure silent? Is that? Yeah, and so so this or, is a yeah. this is a big uh, it's a big sort of thing um, in in and I think how maybe how we differ in, on Canon and Sony and and uh, just to to explain a little bit so um, yeah so when you get the basically the silent mode the electronic shutter is what is responsible for uh, mirrorless cameras that have significantly more banding. Than uh, than DSLRs because because as you've said you can actually get banding on DSLRs in certain lights or in shutter speeds but like it's um, like the lights have to be way worse this is the like it's much rarer the conditions have to be much worse um, and in what that's about primarily is just the the slower readout of the frame and so the um, the the readout speed and like how fast, like the, the, the way that this, the, the light doesn't all hit the shutter, like the shutter doesn't just automatically record things at one, all at one time. And, um, you know, kind of scans, scans through the sensor and, and it you know, creates these scenarios and certain different, uh, fluctuations of light. And it's different for every camera. Um, so, so what I showed on my Patreon basically was a little test uh, between the a7 III and the, and the R, which I have both in the house, and, and also the a9. Um, one of the reasons the a9 is what it is, which is, you know, expensive and really very specialized, it really is actually super specialized to shoot in the uh, silent mode, um, the, the electronic shutter mode, like there, that's where you get to 20 frames per second. Um, you know, that's where you get all these things, whereas uh, actually the, the in un, not you know in normal mechanical shutter mode, the A7 III is actually has more features. The, the A7 III has twice the frame rate uh, with a mechanical shutter than than the A9, which is twice as expensive. Um, but one of the things is is that it, because it has this much faster readout, the A9 is much more similar to the level of banding you would get on a DSLR. Um, so even under under the you know normal like. You don't think they're terrible, but the Hue lights, uh, Philips Hue yeah. lights here in my house, uh, shooting silently um, and shooting with the electronic shutter, uh, same thing. Um, you get a, a, a real level of banding unless you're shooting at, at yeah. very slow shutter speeds. And so, um, and so for me, that's a that's a big deal um, because like you don't always need to shoot silently. Like if you're shooting like if you're shooting dancing, you know, to reception and the music's going, yeah, like yeah. it doesn't matter at all. Um, but you know, sleeping babies a lot. My sleeping baby. If you're if you're shooting. Um, you know, moments of silence, if you're shooting prayer, even, the, even those kind of like in between moments where it's like, uh, you know, this is a first look, but because of this, of the way that it's, that the space works out, I have to be two feet away from them to get like their side angle. And, um, and so even just that feeling of like, I feel like I'm intruding less, 
even if the main effect, the only thing is that it makes me feel better and more confident as a photographer, um, that's actually can be a huge thing. The more, the less you feel like you're intruding, the more you feel like you're giving to your clients, uh, is, is a really, really good way of just, of, of even physically getting closer, but also like, um, like there's a, one of the things that's actually really important in documentary photography is is this feeling of comfort and openness at, uh, that you're projecting toward the subject, so they project it back to you. And and I I find shooting silently um, really really does help with that. I've I've always seen shutter clicks as like as a unit of an as an annoyance unit. Like that's that's what it measures. <laughs> it's how much annoyance well, am I causing? Well, here's here's where I, I might disagree a bit though. Um, and this is one of the problems I've I've always had because I've tried to make the jump to Sony forever. And, and and this is just maybe my own projection of the situation because I never have like asked my client how do you feel about it. But um, I feel like it's a little weirder. Maybe it's mostly just in portraits where yeah. it's most strange for yeah, them to yeah. not get any auditory feedback. I think there's a layer of confidence that is built when they are laughing or reacting and they actually do have a sense of what my timing is relative to what they're doing and having it be pure silence is actually a little more uncomfortable um but maybe not no no so i actually i turn i most of the time will turn the the shutter back on when i'm doing portraits portraits. so because when you're like especially the more that you're like looking at the camera um the weirder it is to have no sound at all because we're so used (laughs) we're so used to the auditory feedback now um or something now five years from now that may be the norm um, because yeah. like, cause people will be so used to, I mean, we're already, uh, I've already had kids come up to me at weddings and say, mom, why does his phone look like that? <laughs> you know? So our, <laughs> our experience That's of awesome. what it means to be photographed is entirely changing. And of course, you know, phones by default don't really make any noise. And, and so, so we could look back and say like, what do you mean it was weird to hear the click of a shutter? It sounds so strange now, but, but well, yeah. That's one thing I, I hope actually may be like a good, professional differentiator experience wise yeah. like i don't know like you said the, the the entire experience of being photographed is changing and i wonder if like having a bigger rig with with the sound of the shutter even though it makes maybe no realistic difference in the work at least from clients perspective it's perceived as being different than if they just hired somebody that had a, a great cell phone that could do the exact same thing i don't know i'm sure like yeah. everything else uh the value of that perception erodes over time <laughs> i remember at the national press club they were really resistant and hesitant to go um uh with, with smaller format cameras that you know oftentimes people would hire the press club itself to, to film their event and the press club at least at the time, this was probably six years ago, they were just convinced that like their bigger shoulder cameras, um, even though they had the exact same or worse output than yeah. smaller little handheld things, uh, looked more professional so people were willing to pay more for it. I don't know if that's still the case, but... Yeah, I mean, um, and it takes a while to shift. And now a lot of times when you see people come in with those big shoulder cameras, you're like, oh my God, you haven't updated your camera in 10 years. It's, you know, why, why don't you have a you know, C100 yeah. DSLR or something like that? Um, so it does change, but those things change slowly. Um, but what is interesting, and, and maybe what colors my experience a little bit, um, right, right from the start, December 2015, when I f- my first wedding with A7R2, um, it actually mattered a huge deal um, because for, I think for like one of the first and only times we had a, a, a minister who was his main concern was sound. 
so my friend uh, uh, Joshua, you know him. Um, he was he was like halfway staying halfway down the aisle with his D four, and and the and the minister actually stopped the ceremony oh to gosh. yell at him because he was making too <laughs> much sound. Meanwhile, I am on the altar. Like I am, I have crept up like behind the priest. I am, you know, five feet from the, from the couple and from him and I'm just shooting away. Um, and so it was, it, you know, that is an edge case scenario, but it's just really interesting. It was the first time that I was shooting, uh, with the Sony, like that it made all the difference in the world. So, you know, again, well, that's, uh, yeah, a really good point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It happened. I mean, I'm not, I am not pretending that that's a, a regular scenario, but there, there are definitely scenarios, you know, to be able to shoot during moments of silence, um, and, and not feel bad about it. Um, and there, and again, it also depends on how you shoot it. Cause I definitely, there are people out there who like motor drive the shutter all the time and at quieter times, um, I've had assistants who've done that and I could see people reacting all the way across the and I had to like go over to them and be like, don't do that. Um, and yeah. you know, and we were, so, so it is a matter, there's a lot that you can or can't do, but, but for me to at least to have that as an option, um, is really powerful. And the way that it shakes out, you know, back to the, the R versus the A7 III versus the A9, um, there's, there, the A9 is in a different class entirely in being able to shoot silently under, weird fluorescent lights um with the and it was interesting also actually the a7r2 was so bad <laughs> that um hmm. it banded so much that you could actually see the effect all the time through the viewfinder so if you were if you were in a scenario where the lights were going to band you knew it uh, you could say like oh my yeah. god the viewfinder is going crazy i have to turn the shutter um that doesn't with the a7 III or even also with the r it, it bands much worse in the final output than you can see through the viewfinder. So you just have to be careful. And that's, I think that's when you're in a yeah. new environment, that's if you, and you are, do want to shoot silently, that's something that you want to chimp for. So, um, so certain, this is a case where certainly the A9 is a, is a clear winner, but like, it's also way more expensive. And it's also a winner over the A7 III. Yeah. Uh, I think one However, of the things I, I will say uh, the story of the R is becoming more and more of like it doesn't do something the that Sony does or it doesn't do something as good it doesn't win yeah. but it's a good enough experience um, that uh, it's fine and and the specifics of silent shooting I though I never used the pure silent shooting because it does band far too easily and the rolling shutter is also a lot more noticeable yeah. and worse um, in that mode the actual silent mode that still has the shutter curtain going yeah. is I find quiet enough for me to feel comfortable that I'm not taking anybody out of the experience and that's another differentiating point that I was just delighted with with the uh, and also comparing it to Nikon's mirrorless, the Canon shutter sound in any mode, but in particular like silent mode one or whatever it's called, um, is just softer and like pillowy and yeah. just a, a more pleasant experience and satisfying to me. Obviously, it's extremely subjective, but yeah. the Sony ones especially I always found way too clacky uh, and a bit loud and, and always had, had struggled with. And it seems like every Sony camera has sounded different in that way, but uh, never where I wanted it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. no, I, uh, I agree with you there, at least you know when it comes to the R. That Canon certainly has had their share of, of cameras that have like crazy shutter sounds, especially Especially for those who can yes. like remember back to the 20D and things like that, but um, but yeah, the, the shutter, especially I know you use uh, the mode one on the uh, the, the like 
I don't know, they sound quiet shutter mode or sound the, you, you know, the, so, yeah, the, the normal. Uh, I haven't even, I, I should look up the exact difference. There's two different modes to be shooting silence. One, it's just like, uh, you give up some frames per second. Um, but it's basically a normal experience shooting just slightly quieter. And then another one, it actually separates the closing and opening based on yeah. whether you have your finger, uh, still on the shutter or not. So yeah. you can like separate out the, the two sounds that you hear every shot, and that was originally um, that was originally a, a Nikon feature a Nikon. back in like a D three yeah. or something, and and just yeah. like with the Canon, I they said like that's supposed to be the quieter mode, but it at least psychologically sounds louder because you're just hearing two different sounds. So, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, um, but yeah, the sh- the the shutter sound is great. I mean, there's a lot of like older Leicas out there that would have been happy with you know people would have said this is the quietest shutter ever, um, and yeah. so yeah, so it's, it, in most scenarios, it's not going to be a huge huge deal um of course like again you know the uh the a9 being a whole a whole different thing it, it's specialized for that kind of capture so you also get like the 20 frames per second and things like that but um mm-hmm. what i you know i think are also a general framework and where this is structured more as a general conversation than like a head-to-head debate um is that i also mm-hmm. that what you see whenever I've dipped my toes in like online discussions um, of the R, especially when it came out is it's really framed as like somehow like this is this terrible camera that doesn't do all these things that the, that the Sony does. And even as a Sony user, I don't think it's that way at all. I think it's a, you know, um, I think it's a really neat camera that is also in ways um, in, in certain ways you've already seen how they can go down market from it a little bit with the RP and, and uh, take a lot of the features and make just a really nice prosumer camera. But we're also mm-hmm. really interested in it as like a, as a pro as a precursor of things to come uh, with mm-hmm. whatever they do that is up market from that, whatever there's their a nine competitor. And I think um, it'll be, I think it's probably going to be something super awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, it has a first release. Uh, it's it's pretty impressive. But my great fear is that more and more videographers, I, I think, may be. I wouldn't shock me at all if videographers are actually the majority of the Sony mirrorless market, mm-hmm. and so that is going to influence and inform uh, all mirrorless camera makers uh, is sort of the needs of videographers, yeah. <laughs> and, and and influence the success of of companies uh, being able to are you know develop new technology and all that. And it, it's a bit frustrating because most of the yeah the negative comments that I've seen about the R, or <clears throat> particular about the video, and I just yeah. like literally could not even care less about it as a still shooter but like now there's no escaping the influence of videographers and what camera makers are going to do um where i wish canon whatever they release up market was really only meant as a still photography emphasis uh with some video you know to be you know to do whatever with for fun have to give give some still uh consideration up to satisfy videographers i don't know but but sony i think has done a really good job of that yes yeah, so, well, appealing to both markets but yeah. in a lot of ways it's kind of ruined the experience of sony for me and and what it does that's clearly meant as sort of a videographer's experience that you can't escape yeah. as a still shooter <laughs> sony and panasonic in different ways have kind of differ- differentiated like this is our video camera that can shoot stills and this is our still camera that can shoot videos you know they've gone in in Sony, they've got the the S's and and the Panasonic now just with the S1 and S1R. It's, it's a little bit 
it's a little bit different, but yeah, hopefully, because I, you know, apparently the S7 III takes great video. Um, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I, I don't exactly. you know, use these things for, for video very much. And, and honestly, um, you know, I'm like my, uh, because I'm not shooting video a lot in low light and I shoot it personally. I'm like, my iPhone shoots 4k 60 P and, and looks great in, yeah. in most lighting. So for the kind of things that we're doing, we're not, you know, do not come here for, uh, in-depth video <laughs> reviews. <laughs> yeah. And that's, that's the other thing. Yeah. Our perspective is completely still related. And as a still camera, I feel like the R, um, yeah, was, was just exceptional. Sorry, I keep picking up the RP, though I've decided I'm going to send it back. It oh, is, really? You have to try... Yeah, the RP... I've already got two Rs, so I just can't justify $1,200 yeah. sitting around doing literally nothing. But it is a fantastic feel with this extra grip. And I'm wondering if you have any, you know, uh, just summarizations about the, the difference in feel, just mm -hmm. physically in your hand between the R and... Because that's another problem I had with the Sony stuff was the... the literally where the buttons are just too cramped for, for my hand. I think yeah. they went a little too small for my preference, but um, I don't know. Do you still prefer the Sony feel in your hand? Or do you have any, uh, maybe, maybe you haven't spent enough time with the Canon, but so I think the, I think the R feels awesome. And, and, you know, again, the, it needs more buttons though. It needs more. Customizable it does, yeah. Buttons. So like a left row would be gold. I don't know what the heck happened there. Yeah. It's, there's two, there's two different buttons. things. There's the, there's the, the actual physical feeling of the camera, the grip feeling, the, the way that it's balanced. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I would hand that to the R over the, uh, over the Sony bodies. Um, and, uh, what's ironic again is, is Nikon users and mirrorless users. We're not talking about the Nikon mirrorless at all. I had, I literally have not been in the same room as one. Um, but that also looks like a better balanced feel body, uh, than yeah. the Sony. But, um, but in terms of buttons, I really, uh, and especially the ways that they can be customized. Now I have a lot more experience with the Sony's. I've, I've really, really, really worked through the customizations. Um, but it works, it works really, really well for me. It's, it's compact because the, the body is more compact, you know, like maybe the buttons were more naturally reachable, uh, when I customized my D5, but the D5 was ginormous. There's, um, yeah. <laughs> Have you actually held a, a DSLR in any recent amount of time? <laughs> we ju we I did, did sold, the other day yeah. the D850, and it's like a gigantic tank. Yeah. I, I can't believe it. Yeah, go uh, pick up like a like a 1DX, um, which or uh, something, and just just marvel. But yeah, we we just sold our last <laughs> D5, and and so I still had that. Okay. I took a couple photos with it. And I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and, but yeah, I would, I'd love, I'd love a little larger, you know, Sony body. And so, um, and again, I, you know, I think one of the things that'll be interesting to see upmarket is when, and if any mirrorless makers do make a body with an integrated grip, um, the, which will be like, they're, they're finally saying on the, on the lens front, they're clearly saying, okay, mirrorless is not all about size. We're making a 28 to 70 F2. We're making... Uh, you know, Sony is making um, some some of their lenses lenses are as large as their DSLR. They are now making you know a couple lenses that are compact, uh, relatively compact for whatever reason. Things like their twenty four one four, their their twelve to twenty four. Uh, maybe it's just on the wider side, but even even their one thirty five one eight is a little bit smaller. They're with their lenses. I mean, I mean, just looking at Canon, looking at their twenty eight to seventy f two, they're clearly saying like this is not, not a that size. size. Yeah, yeah so, which I really appreciate. Though that's a lens I am almost done finally writing a full detailed in depth review about. Uh, my essential summary is 
amazing lens to have for everything except wedding photography <laughs> because it <laughs> that, is just yeah. you cannot shoot i mean unless you just limit it to a portion of the day you're just never going to be comfortable shooting with this gigantic ass paint can uh as much as it's a fantastic performer um it's it's amazing for like a portrait session an hour maybe two hours of shooting is about all any reasonable person is going to be able to handle before it's negatively impacting uh your decision making in in the photo creation process so yeah Uh, but it's it's nice to see like sort of i guess you could call it the risk of um you know going hilariously huge right right on the edge of just like are you kidding me huge um <laughs> uh so anyway uh, that was another aspect of the r i did appreciate but you know it just completely failed was the, like the touch bar thing yes. the trying to innovate on some experience in mirrorless that was a new way of making settings adjustments and they just did not get there uh, they didn't they didn't learn from completely. apple <laughs> not, i know yeah, yeah i i, I I, uh, did you buy a touch bar laptop yourself? The uh, one? No, I bought, I went out and, um, basically I, I, uh, I picked up on like the last, the, the, the most specced out, uh, laptop pre touch bar, you know, for like half yeah. price and it's been serving me pretty well. It's, it's the same kind of thing. It's like the, the interface is not quite there because there's, there are issues with an interface that gives you no or very little tactile feedback. Um, and and doesn't react consistently yeah like the the r bar literally just you have no idea really what it's going to do until it decides yeah. to do it <laughs> yeah I, uh it does i mean th- th- thankfully they have the ability to lock it so you have some control of just like rejecting it completely but <laughs> when um, that's the plus is like you can ignore it entirely yeah, yeah i think i great. i i think it's the r's version of the uh the print button on the original 5d <laughs> like Oh, oh, I'm glad you made the space for a printer button. Oh, uh, I forgot about that. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, like, I've, I, you know, having less experience, not only with the R, but relatively little experience with the the Canon, uh, the inner workings, the way that Canon thinks, even though I've owned, like, three or four, I, you know, just uh, they've always been, like, a tertiary camera to me. Um mm you know, had, you know, relative issues, uh, figuring out sort of the core autofocus functions on the R. And so what's, what's interesting is I almost, it almost was, uh, I ended up using it and having the most, uh, success it felt like a Game Boy or something in my hands because I was using the, uh, the, the touch out of focus, uh, whether, uh, whether having it out, yeah. uh, using touch and drag, even through the EVF and using the touch out of focus to, to like get that out of focus point in the right place almost all the time. Um, and, and, and I made it work with, with a, with a really you know, good amount of success. It was, it, it like, for me, that falls over into entirely this new experience of, you know, like we're, mm-hmm. we're so far away from the DSLR experience now because I'm like playing a game with the autofocus point. Um, whereas in, yeah. in Sony, it's a little <laughs> bit in between. Um, but if you want to gloat on the Canon side now, we can talk about the LCD. <laughs> <laughs> No, 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 no. It's okay. But there is one other aspect uh, I would point out that is incredibly frustrating. And tell me if I'm wrong. I'm pretty sure Sony is is good about any button that's customizable. Like, here's your 
the same list of options every single time, yeah. right? With Canon and the R, for whatever reason, they are still trying to curate the experience in a frustrating way of like, this. here's, here's your button, you can customize it, but oh, if it's on the top portion, you can only do this set of customizations. If it's on the, the bottom uh, backside, you can only do this set of custom. You can't customize every button from the same uh, list of options, and it's incredibly frustrating. And it's a software thing that I, I really don't understand why they would... It's like a self-inflicted wound there. Um, it's not a good thing to make the... If, if you're saying the Sony menus make sense, then that's that's a really bad... Well, that's feature. that's what's hilarious. Yeah, that, that and another frustrating point for, for me is like the general uh, design language of the Sony interface is... Yeah. is it's like a Windows versus Apple thing for me. It's like yeah. they're, they're just in a different world that I am not appreciating. And it, even if it doesn't really impact my work, I, I feel like it does. <laughs> so it's, it's always been a point, uh, a, a negative point for me on Sony, Sony cameras, but we're both also coming originally from the Nikon experience, which they, they had it pretty well figured out for a while. Oh, I, yeah, completely agree. Yep. Um, does Sony have, uh, lenses that have a customizable, not just a button, but any type of like digital rings that they talk to the camera with? So the, the control rings, uh, like are on the, like the R, the RF lenses that, that, that's a Canon thing. And that's, and that's, you know, they've okay. got, uh, well, they have, they have the buttons and things like that. And that, and, you know, I definitely had some fun with that, uh, using the, uh, like I set the ring to ISO and it's really nice to have that tactile feedback. Now, the, the main thing is, um, I also have ISO set to a ring on the Sony, basically the, the ring is on the back instead of on the lens. Um, but it works out to being, you know, kind of the same thing. Is it a left-hand ring? It's a, well, I use, uh, it's, it's right-handed. So, so basically, I mean, that's the, if there could be, um, you could you can go both ways on that so it's a little bit of a different experience is it like now it means you can use one hand and use the ring or you know but also you you may just naturally prefer having it on the lens um so yeah that that's what i was wondering because it is and along with the touch to drag focus it does seem like canon is trying to i think smartly embrace sort of a two-handed approach to shooting i didn't know if the sony ring was somehow reachable with your left thumb but i really like having my left hand do something other than just balance essentially um it's definitely a weird and frustrating experience going from an adapted control ring versus a lens that has a native because the adapter you constantly accidentally bump the ring Mm because it's really close to the the base of the camera but on a native lens an rf lens that has the ring it's i think smartly put as far away as you can get from accidentally bumping it. And, uh, and I love, yeah, this two handed, I don't actually enjoy the touch to drag very much. I like always having a consistent, uh, focus point in like the upper third of the frame where I always reset to always, and then focus recompose from there. But, uh, for people that prefer to move their focus point first and then shoot. So um, you're not, you're not moving the point first a lot, or you're moving it from like, I use essentially three 3D spots. tracking, so the point moves itself, yeah. but I engage autofocus on top of my subject. I always place them in the upper third, which is where my focus point is, and then I recompose. Uh, I just like having a sense of always starting in the third of the frame, generally because if I'm photographing a human yeah. compositionally, that's a preferred starting point versus their face directly in the center or something like that. Uh, yeah, no, so I don't know why I do that, but I always start in the center uppermost 
point. And anytime I engage autofocus, it'll track and move anywhere as I recompose or my subject moves. But uh, as soon as I let go of the shutter and start engaging autofocus again, it's reset to that same point again. Yeah. So, anyway. And, and so, yeah. So I used, I uh, ended up landing on kind of using the touch and drag, and I still mostly paired it with the 3D tracking. So you can just be like, hey, this guy, you know, and, and then and then follow him around. Um, and uh, so, so it is interesting. And, and again, I've had a lot more time uh, with the, the Sony system and customizing that. Um, but I am able, uh, have been able to do more modes and more customizations through the Sony's where basically uh, with all within range of my right thumb um, in very in ergonomically good enough uh, positions where it's not, you know, you can do it. It's not that doesn't strain you throughout the day, I can go in between three different sorts of autofocus um, ju just from the, like, moving my thumb to different positions. And so I could have the IAF or, or whatever my normal, like, uh, on the joystick, which is another thing, uh, having access to a, a, a moving the point with a joystick for me is a little bit easier. The, the R doesn't have that. Yeah, yeah, I a lot can of actually. People are pissed about that. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, and I can, so I can move the point on that. And then I have, and I also have the setup on the, on the D5, which is basically a just focus and take the picture, damn you, button that just like engages all out of focus points and, and tries to take the photo when nothing else is working. And so to, to, you know, to have all of that is, has been for me really handy. But again, on the, on the R, I, I landed on something that felt like a video game experience because you do have both hands on it and you're kind of sliding around well. Which is, yeah, I played a lot of video games in the past, so it's not, not the yeah, worst thing. Yeah, I've actually always felt, because I, similar to you, with uh, the IR laser bounce flash, I, I would often feel like I was you know, in some sort of first-person shooter with that uh, flash beam. Anyway, um, so I, I'm curious, have you, is, is eye focus a big deal for you in, in the Sony world? Because... That's the other, right next to the memory card situation mm -hmm. is, is eye focus and people, like if it's not implemented well, uh, it's a deal breaker completely. And I, I just have never had an affinity to, to, to using eye focus. You're, the camera would generally, you know, if you have more than one person in the shot, you still have to tell the camera which person's face you want in focus anyway. Uh, I could see maybe if you're consistently focusing portraits of one person, eye focus being all you'd ever want to need. But anyway, I'm curious if you missed that at all or, if, you know, yeah, I, I feel that. So, um, uh, I go in both directions from that because it was, first of all, the, I think the one thing that is easier, uh, well, first of all, the, the starting with the, specifically the eye focus, um, is it almost, it probably makes you feel like there's more of a difference than there really is. Because, uh, the one thing is like, you really know the camera is locked on somebody if it's, if it's hitting their eye, right. They're like, okay, I, I know yeah. it's got you. And, and there's so, there's a, just so much more screen feedback that we're having on these modern mirrorless cameras. Um, then you were with the DSLRs where it's like, okay, I think that points on him, or maybe it's really on the background. I'm, you know, I'm not sure. Uh, whereas, you know, now it's like, okay, I've got him. Here's his face. I'm tracking his face. It's this dude, you know, you know, I'm tracking this dude cause I'm following his face. And, and then if it's tr tracking the eye, um, that's just a little bit more of like, okay, my camera really, really has this person. If you're, if you're doing it in yeah. 
in documentary, but probably in what I find on the Sony, I'm sorry, what I find on the Canon and, and also with the Sony is like, if it's doing face tracking, it's probably actually there's AI in there that's trying to find the eye anyway. Um, and so the, the eye usually is what's sharp uh, when it's doing face tracking. Now, um, but, you know, on the, on the other side, um, I think what pe a lot of people have found harder is is saying on the Canon, you know, first of all, like, which, which guy, which person's face do I want to be tracking, moving that quickly, which you, you can, because um, the... Uh, the face and eye tracking interplays really well with the different autofocus modes on the Sony. And, yeah. um, and, and it also can be, and the big thing is that it can be used, uh, not just eye tracking, but face tracking, which can be a big deal, can be used in the continuous or server mode, which I don't... Yeah, which yeah. is completely missing from the R. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and they're, they're, uh, that's one of those things, like, you know they're going to get there, but, uh, but for now... Well, they have good. a strange... There's a mode that I use um, for in dancing, and it's continuous AF, where the autofocus is just churning all the time, whether you're engaging it or not. It's yep. just always tracking. And being in one shot with that is about is is close, but yeah. you can only take one frame at a time. You can't just you know rip off twenty frames per second. So it will continuously track and do eye tracking and face tracking, much like the Sony, but one one shot at a time yeah. and you have to turn on specifically turn on continuous autofocus because uh, you generally wouldn't want that to be engaged all the time and i can't remember does sony have that capability because i don't think there are any yeah, SLRs that I yeah the, it, the, the, like the, the, they call yeah, it pre-af in sony yeah okay, okay, and gotcha. and so it can yeah. but but i noticed it in at least by default settings i noticed on the canon it was working super hard uh and it may we I, we can't talk about everything in all of our experiences it may also be like when I had the 35, that the, the way the autofocus mo motor works on the 35 is it really lets you know when it's focusing. <laughs> yeah, um, and that's something we kind of got into before we were like, oh, let's just have a podcast about it. I, I enjoy another frustration I had with other mirrorless systems was was the complete silence of the body while mm -hmm. shooting. And I enjoy sort of getting an intuitive sense of is the camera struggling? Has it hit focus? Like the more you shoot and you have that motor um, feedback, the more you get a sense of a feel, a literal feel for the camera as it's operating. And it kind of ties into your decision making in a way I find to be a positive part of the experience. But I could see other photographers preferring pure silence, only having some visual feedback on the screen about if it's in focus or not and all that. But I, I've always appreciated lenses that had a little bit of a... Um, a feel for the motor for sure. But I, and, and part of me is starting to fear that like, man, am I getting to the point where I am rejecting uh, maybe a better situation, having pure silence and get, you know, giving something up about the experience that I shouldn't because I'm just old now. <laughs> I've been doing yeah. this 10 years. It, it, you know, it, it definitely is a little bit like, you know, get off my lawn uh, because because that experience comes from even a couple of generations back, you know, when, when you're using uh, all the old AFD lenses. And, but I, I hear you um, on, and I hadn't even really considered it, on the, the kinds of auditory and, and different and unintended tactile feedback uh, 
that you would get from your cameras, which is like the difference between driving an old car that, you know, because I mean, on, on the old Nikon cameras, you could click the shutter and, and if you've taken a hundred thousand photos with it, you could say, Oh, Oh, oops, that was at one sixtieth. That's the sound of the shutter at one sixtieth. I wanted it at one eightieth, <laughs> you know? Right. Um, exactly. Yeah. And, yeah. And you definitely don't have so that. So without having to look at your shutter or whatever, you're able to operate and make all these decisions, I think faster, but yeah. I don't know, maybe it's just a, a comfort thing. It, it's hard to, to tell. I found it incredibly uncomfortable to have just pure silent lenses. Uh, and I appreciated at least, especially with the, the Canon 35, which I didn't even realize was super loud. Now, I now <laughs> since you've mentioned it, all I hear is the 35 lens. <laughs> it yep. is, it's, like it's loud. School, it's... Yeah. Yeah. And I think, and so, again, that's, that's from the experience of, of doing no video. Um, and I was thinking we had this discussion earlier you know, offline about it. And, and what you said is, you know, I've, you don't get why people, you know, harp on lenses that make a lot of noise for video because, you know, really, you know, professional systems should, should by and large be using external audio and things like that. And, and that is very true. But when you're talking about something, especially like the RP and the 35, which is also, you know, really nice and expensive lens, most of the people that are taking video on that are, are not going to, they're just taking it. To, to That's to a good have. point. And yeah, they're um, just using the on, on body audio and yeah. it is pretty wretched. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good point. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it is, yeah, it is something. And I do think again, from my, 10 seconds of testing that they that um what i noticed is that the the 35 uh tries to focus like very very like tries to sneak around and focus very very slowly in video so it's not making a lot of noise um, but it did still make some and then if you try to like do any autofocus adjustment during video then it's just <laughs> you know? yeah 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 uh okay so one thing i wrote down because i wanted to make sure we get back to it in case we went off in a totally different direction which we and, have uh, non-stop yeah the <laughs> the dual card slots yeah um versus single so that's a deal breaker for you i assume uh, well i have some different or... thoughts on it and this is such a big thing that we probably should post like in the show notes like at the one hour mark we get into the thing you want everyone to talk about um, <laughs> um so i Fair so enough. i posted I'll a little that. thing yeah. on my on my patreon uh about dual card and, and the i don't know if it's ironic but um when you think about it, the reason that I have found in my experience that dual cards are actually important are, are the things that no one wants to talk about because everyone only wants to talk about card failure because card failure is entirely out of your hands and it's just the fault of the card. And it's just, and these days that is relatively, if you're talking about straight up, like everything's perfect with the card and, and, and it's just some kind of database thing that is pretty rare. Now, not that it never happens, having done uh, thousands of shoots, and it, and it used to happen quite a bit. You know, again, part of it is just being super old in the, in the camera world and coming from the land of like micro drives, where they would fail more often than not. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, these and these days it's relatively rare. And you have, for example, Nikon and, and XUD saying like XUD cards never fail. You know, um, which is a I would never want to make that claim, but uh, uh, yeah, that's a pretty interesting liability they're willing to take on. But, yeah, but it, um, it yeah. absolutely so that absolutely is rare. But um, but for me, one of the things that is a rare doesn't mean 
Never. Um, you know, a one percent you know, between the two of us, we've done more than a thousand weddings. So if we had a one percent chance of failure, we would have scrapped ten weddings um, and we'd be out of business. Um, so like like one percent is way too much uh, of of any chance of failure in your entire system. And now it's not one percent, but what I find is a lot closer to one percent, and and um, certainly is. Uh, a lot bigger chance of failure is that intersection uh, between, you know, interface and human error. And one always causes the other. And, and so, you know, it's like how they worry with self-driving cars that the real problem is if you have a steering wheel, it's that intersection when the human takes over, they're more likely to cause an accident because they're all of a sudden taking over from the system. And so, um, so, what I have found, it, it is the things like downloading the cards, getting them to the right place, uh, working with your file system, and like, oh, I've deleted this folder because it's time for this folder to be deleted, and oh my gosh, I accidentally had another folder that was selected, and that folder also went into the trash, and I didn't notice at the time. So, uh, so my back. Well, here's here's just to jump in because yeah. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you? Here's where I've always been confused: is at the recommendation for photographers to shoot across like 32 gigabyte cards in a single. Single day, it's always made so much more sense to me to shoot 256 gig yeah. so that I never have to deal with the potential human flaw, you know, the, the error of writing over a card yeah. that actually hasn't been uploaded yet uh, and removing as many variables as possible. Like, why not shoot as, as giant a card as you possibly can? Yeah, if that card fails, you lose the entire wedding versus just a portion of it. But if you have dual slots... So anyway, I'm just curious. Do you yeah. shoot one... one pair per wedding or do you swap cards halfway through the day yep. yeah and it that seems like that is bringing in a lot of risk so that gets me that yeah that, that gets me right to the to the point of you know the way okay. um because the way that i do that is just one way to guard against that kind of interface failure uh, you know the human error and the human interface failure um, which is that second? So the first card I want it to be as large as possible, um, and I want to feel be able to to use it on an entire wedding day. You know, uh, 12, 14, 18, Okay, we've done a twenty-hour wedding day. Um, <clears throat> you know, whatever it is, so I don't want wedding days. Yes. I don't want to. I don't want to have to change that card mid shoot ever. And so the second card, though, um, I shoot JPEG. And uh, so what I oh, want to be what? able to use for that is not just, I don't want to be able to do just that shoot. I want to be able to do, especially like, let's say I have multiple day wedding shoots. I want to not have to change it on a weekend, maybe even a full week. I want to be able to do multiple shoots. Uh, and I want to basically have a system where uh, no matter how busy you are, if you are doing 10 shoots a week, um, that you never have to format that second card or do anything to it change it in any way until the job is delivered. Um, because again, there's so many little things um, uh, along the system of working with files in any way. And that's where you're a lot more likely to come into any kinds of problems. Because like, you know, you, and your backup, if your backup is a clone of the things that are on your hard drive, you've literally, even if you have a backup or even an offline backup, it's cloned the mistakes. So to, to yeah, I, I remember your article, you mentioned that. One, one thing I've always been uncomfortable about those cloning programs is that, yeah, you, you delete it from your main working drive and then it, that deletion yeah. is cloned to your other. So what I've always found perfectly acceptable is I use the Lightroom make a second copy to option and anything that gets imported to my main working yes. drive has a complete second copy that I then, you know, 
never ever touch yeah. again unless I, I've had some critical failure on my primary and and I've just completely removed any need for the the cloning software and yeah. that that layer of risk uh, in that particular example but yeah and um, we and we do that now and that's good advi- good okay. good advice that should be flagged separately we do that now as well but yeah just so it's just yeah. the the real thing and, and how we use it is to have right on the card as well um we can always if everything else fails if like our apartment is bombed whatever we can always go back to that second card which had the jpegs on it and you know and jpegs are fine <laughs> you know um yeah, yeah that's interesting i i kind of yeah i i've never really had a justified use for jpegs but i, I guess um the closest i come is once everything is imported and rendered i, I consider smart previews sort of mm-hmm. like my my fifth backup if yeah. i had to like that's sort of as close as i come to having a jpeg part of my experience but the, the way that i've been perfectly comfortable justifying a single card slot is i just treat it as internal memory i have a, a portable drive external hard drive that i can connect USB-C to usb type a as soon as i'm done shooting i connect the cable between the camera and that portable hard drive and then it backs up uh the end of the day and i figured that's about as much risk as the, i you know that's it i I don't see how having two slots two cards at the exact same time is really any different than that experience of what i'm doing um at all i just don't yeah i don't see it for for me it's such a preferential thing with like comfort level and like your own life experience of if you've lost work so the other thing is the only time i've ever lost anything thank god it was never a wedding but it was an engagement session in hawaii that they paid for me to fly to hawaii to go to it wasn't the full session it was a chunk of it though and the, the only time i've ever lost anything is when it was stolen from me and having two cards in the same camera body that is now in the trunk of someone else's car uh made no difference so maybe that's just some of my own life experience coloring where i'm comfortable with risk but yeah yeah yeah, absolutely and and um it's been it's been a long time uh since i've just lost things from a you know straight up car just just absolutely failing and and all on its own um and so so while it does happen i don't think it's the worst risk in the world as long as again you're doing things that really protect the rest of the chain um, but it, it is the way that we use it is just another like as bedrock as possible as little human contact as you know we're, we're trying to have it make it like the the you know automated driving car that has no steering wheel uh, which is actually safer um you know to, to have as little yeah. human contact as possible like this here's an untouched car that still nothing has happened to this card at all uh, until the wedding is delivered and and so um it's mostly protecting against all that other stuff um the messiness of life and the interface between humans and technology and so yeah it's at the end of the day well okay would, would your opinion be whatever your workhorse uh, camera is it has to be dual slot or is there a scenario where you would be uh well, I don't want to have I to mean, make yeah. answer that. <laughs> yeah. Clearly, my answer you're, is yes. Like, you're I, deeply I'm irresponsible, Sam. I want everyone to know that. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, you know, again, we... So, I, mean, I do have two camera bodies, so it's yeah. not like I don't have anything. For yeah, and I and I have yeah. shot weddings with, uh, you know, we shot with A7R2. Um, I've shot, you know, with the... With, I've actually used the Olympus That's as a, a third camera. A seven R two has a single card yeah, slot. Um, some of the Olympuses, uh, you know, the EM one or whatever that I used to use as the third camera sometimes had a single card slot. And and so, 
you know, I would justify like, okay, this is my second camera, but like, I it was actually shooting a lot with it and like shooting, like maybe like, um, sometimes like maybe my long lens at a ceremony, which, so, um, it's not that, you know, it's not that I can't say that I've never relied on it because I, I know that that experience is, is what's relatively rare. Um, it's just about, uh, but it's not, you know, again, it's non-zero. <laughs> so it's, it's, yeah. it's the, uh, it's all about the level of paranoia and, but everything that you can do to sort of offset, uh, that paranoia. And so you have ways, you know, that yes, one of the things that's more likely than just straight up a card deciding to fail a, a good card is like bent pins and stuff and SD cards, um, which is, I would say a hundred yeah, times for me, more the likely. highest risk of any, any card failing is, is when you're physically ejecting and mounting it. Yeah. And so if you just never do, it's good enough for me. I, if you have the option of dual slots, like, of course, of course, take it. But, um, yeah, it's the camera, this, the experience of shooting this. And part of it is just because it has been 10 years since I've used any other system. I'm just excited to finally have something I can shoot different. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've been, like, I've been using the, the Canon for, uh, for all my personal stuff, you know, since I got it. And while that yeah, what just, lens also, just so people have a sense, what lens did you get with it? So I got, so I got the kit that came with the 24 to one, 105 uh so oh that, gosh <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah i mean it's what I, I wanted to see what the like regular experience of somebody just buying it to use to shoot their kids would be um and mm-hmm. for a 24 to 105 f4 it's nice it's very sharp and um but it's you know again shooting at 24 f4 you have to you know be comfortable with infinite depth of field and and shoot in that way um 12,000 iso yeah it's so whatever you know and 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 it's still I, I believe it's pricey for for what it is um and i think that's the real issue with it but it but it is a very sharp uh and then so then i also picked up on my own the uh the 35.18 and the the 51.2, which um, okay, cool. Yeah, and the 51. That that's the that's the golden lens for me yeah. personally. The 51.2. Uh, the the 51.2. It is absolutely incredible. Now again, I, I'm co- coming from a place where I have bought multiple 5Ds just to have their <laughs> to have a, a one two lens back when I was Nikon, um, and it's, yeah. <laughs> you you could almost you could almost justify doing that. Just like say I'm going to pick up maybe an RP or something just to have this lens. But, but of course that's a lot more expensive than, you know, that's the real issue is like throwing on doing, doing that at $5,000 versus doing that at at 3000. I do think it's, it's, and I I have no sense anymore of where Sony lenses fall on the spectrum of price. But I think that is another common complaint in the the Canon world now is everyone seeing literally like all their lenses cost more than the either bodies they have right now, (laughs) except for the 35 1.8. That's the only exception. The 28 to 70 is $3,000. And I think there was maybe the sense of once we hit mirrorless, the lenses will be smaller. So everything will also be a little bit cheaper. And it's interesting to see that. Yeah, I wouldn't count opposite. on I wouldn't count on cheaper. Yeah. <laughs> uh, companies they're they're not really interested in in uh, making <laughs> making things cheaper for the same quality, um, and yeah, unless they have a really good reason to. But um, I th- I think what was really interesting to me is by and large, Canon really seemed to say like we're going to first go with like what Sony doesn't have because <laughs> uh, by now Sony oh, yeah, has that was a really interesting I, I hadn't 
realize that. Yeah. I love that realization you had. <laughs> Sony has, I mean, they've got such a head start. I mean, uh, so the first, actually the first person that ever showed me a, a Sony mirrorless in person was you. Uh, you came into my apartment yeah. one day with the, the A7. And, and back at that time, I was like, okay, that's cool. Uh, I love mirrorless. It's cool to see this, but it's totally not there yet. And, you know, and, and their first entry, you know, they had a lot uh, they didn't have all the experience to build on, but it had, you know, issues to clearly had to work on. And, and so here, uh, you know, 2018, 2019, um, they've, they've have all of that experience. They have all that increased technology. It's definitely a better camera than the, the original a seven. Um, but there's, there's still some things that you see that whether it's some of it could be done in software three years from now, we're going to look back and say like, Oh man, now they've, they've got this and this and this, and some of it will be in the lens lineup. Um, they st seem to start with like, here are the weird lenses that Sony doesn't have or, uh, perfectly normal lenses that everyone who shoots Sony wants like a 3518. Uh, so they're like, ha ha ha, we've got a 3518, but we've also got like a 28 to 70 F2 because that's weird and Sony doesn't have that. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think that Sony does have, I believe, a 24, and a, but again, uh, yeah, the 24. Yeah, they, they took a while. I remember when the A9 came out, I, I shot a few full weddings with it and I was really excited about it, but just realized there was no 24, 1.4 yeah. out. I think it was a couple months after that, it finally came out and I had already decided uh, to send it back or sell it after that point. And like the only thing I could find was a 24 F2, which just did not have the look that I wanted. Yeah. And I couldn't believe this is like the eighth, seventh, eighth iteration of a Sony body that I bought. And I still had to adapt a 24 1.4 if I wanted it. So it's, I think it's interesting. I think they've caught up in any way that is, is most needed, but yeah, I, I finally, that. I mean, that was, that was a yeah. huge, cause uh, that was a huge thing to, to not have, especially because 24 is a great uh, dance floor lens, and uh, and on these mirrorless cameras, um, the autofocus is uh, without having that beam. Again, the autofocus really, really depends on how much light is coming into the sensor, and so in very, very dark scenarios, um, having a, a one four, uh, yeah, having that light. Yeah, coming, exactly. Um, F two is just not not going to cut it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in in those darkest, yeah. darkest scenarios. So that they. they they eventually came out with a with a lens that is excellent and small, but it, it took them that long. It took them a long, long time. So, uh, in terms of the ecosystem, it's not. In ways, it's an unfair comparison to say like Sony's where Sony was at this point eight years ago, or whatever, um, because they've had the things to go on. But it's definitely an unfair comparison to look at all the lenses that uh, Sony has currently versus all the lenses six months in that, that Canon has. I definitely, yeah. I definitely would not bet against Canon in terms of. Of producing a good lens ecosystem. <laughs> yeah, well, because Sony now doesn't have like that runway to to work with with you know exciting new lenses to release. I mean, they, they can they can re-release -re lenses with updates and modifications, but you know the the, the runway is wide open for for Canon, uh, and that's really exciting. But I'm, I'm curious where Sony is going to put their efforts um yeah. if it's not in new lens designs obviously it's probably going to be body tweaks and things like that and i wonder uh yeah it's just kind of exciting to have these two companies in completely different stages of their lives uh designing mirrorless cameras um and apparently just, sony said they're gonna about to release like 12 or something and so that'll be really interesting to see 12 lenses uh, yeah um they, oh, they've said gosh. that I, but I, and the only one that we've seen is the 135 <laughs> 18 
Um, but so that, that leads us, there's a good question about, uh, you know, third part of the ecosystem entirely, which is lighting. Um, what, what flashes do you use with the... Yeah, that's actually really great. Um, I, coming from the Nikon world, I became in love with the Profoto A1, oh, yeah. uh, shooting that on Nikon. Uh, flash that has plenty of quirks, but the recycle speed and... Um, accuracy of the a- a- IR laser and all of that was far superior to the Nikon SB910s or whatever Nikon last released. So uh, I bought the Profoto A1 for the Canon mirrorless and have been incredibly happy with its performance on that, even though it doesn't utilize the IR beam. And then I also have the EL100, or maybe it's Heine. Mm-hmm. Nikon also has like a version of this, but tiny little kind of pocket lens, very lightweight, not very powerful, but if you're in a really dark room or a relatively white room with short ceilings, uh, it does the job. Um, and it's very small and lightweight. Uh, Is that, does that, uh, swivel? Yes. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Cause what I, what I love for the Sony, it's like is the size their... of two AirPod cases. It's oh, that wow. small and it swivels. <laughs> yeah. It's ridiculous. A little bigger than that. But... Yeah. I, I love the, uh, the 45 RM, uh, for, for Sony, which is this, not that small, but still very, very sm- tiny flash, like smaller than, uh, like, a the old 600s on, on Nikon. And, and, um, and for being small, it's really, you know, it's, uh, you know, it has all the features. It swivels, it, um, and it has r- its radio, uh, transceiver. Um, and it's also just surprisingly powerful. Um, you know, I, I don't notice, I notice like maybe a half stop difference versus like the huge, huge flashes, uh, which is not a big deal. Um, so to, to have a bunch of these tiny flashes that are, that are well balanced on a mirrorless camera, um, is a big deal for me now. Those are there. I've also noticed they're incredibly fragile, which is another issue entirely. Oh. But yeah, but lighting is a, is a huge part of the ecosystem. So I was really uh, curious. About yeah, and, and I'm kind of disappointed to see. I don't think they have, you know, when launching an entirely new platform, essentially, I, I was hoping for better wireless communication yeah. built into the body. As far as I can tell, there is no capability of that on the R. Um, you know, you have to have a, a little tr- remote trigger in your, your hot shoe, uh, just like in the DSLR days. Does Sony have that as well? Do they have any built-in? Yeah, it's a good question uh, in the camera because um, even, you know, even in Nikon, which had that really well, I, I rarely used it as long as the flash had a good interface. Um, and the yeah. uh, the control interface, everything about the uh, the Sony flashes, other than the fragility, is are is incredible uh and that includes just using the the flash menu for to control other flashes is, is really 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 well designed um and the, like the the ttl is so good that i use it sometimes you know uh, like like the the flashes are are absolutely fantastic even compared to nikon flashes which are were the the gold standard um but, but they they like to break. Uh, it's just, you know they have little yeah. pins that love to uh, they love to move, and then it's a hundred and sixty dollars fix. Are you talking about like the mount on the hot shoe? Pins? Uh, yeah, the uh, the hot, the pins on the hot shoe just they hot they shoe. love to yeah. break no matter you know if you breathe on yeah. them wrong. Um, so hopefully they'll figure that out. Uh, that's no good. And, and is that a Sony branded flash? That that, yeah, that's that's a Sony. One of these weird. Yeah, got so it. we've got one of the big ones and a whole bunch of the small ones, um, and really, really, really love the small ones. Well, uh, anyway, the, the I, I almost never shoot off-camera flash, so the, the wireless and the flash ecosystem really only matters to me as far as um, 
<laughs> what I can use with Bowsplash, which I don't really need any wireless for. But uh, just segueing briefly, because we should probably wrap this up eventually. Um, the the other thing I'm incredibly disappointed about, and almost every camera manufacturer, I don't know if Sony has has improved or not, but is is just the ability to quickly offload raw images to to something portable like a phone or something like that the canon experience is still pretty laughable and um i think it's better than it was in their dslr days but every manufacturer should be i think making that a pretty critical priority like okay here's my photo boom i want to essentially airdrop it to whatever device you have like that is the dream for me and it's just kind of disappointing to see i don't remember sony having a good experience if i recall it was the play memories app you had to use (laughs) and they uh, they, well they canceled i think they canceled all their apps yeah it's um we could go on we could go on for another uh, hour and a half on the topic of how most of the really interesting stuff in cameras is happening in the phone world um, and, you know, and why that is. And so and one of them is just obviously the, the ability to share and like, and, and yeah, when you shoot with the phone, like it literally, if you're on wireless, like you can instantly back up all the time, um, which you think would be even more important uh, when, if you're with the kinds of stuff that you're shooting, if you're um, using the equipment that, that yeah. could be used for professional photojournalistic assignments and things like that. And I think part of it is that they already have their set ways of doing it that have set interfaces. And so like, it's a big deal when a camera has an, an ethernet port, because then it can, can, you know, yeah. that's how they would wi- transmit back to the, the AP wire and things like that. But, um, but I, I want to see them embrace, you know, I'm surprised. It's nice that the, the uh, ESR has USB-C and, and there's there's a lot more potential, I would say, based into that. Um, even if it's just having a more modern <coughs> and smaller and uh, more modular add-on that uh, that allows for transmission and GPS and things like that. I, you know, <coughs> I have not gone so far into that but but these are all these things like yeah when i take a photo with my phone it can be instantly backed up it can you know not, it it might shoot 60 frames to take one frame and it can also uh, also has the gps in it. it has all these things and there are reasons you know there are many reasons you know smaller sensor allows for different things and also they have like a hundred times the money a, a little bit of that will be maybe the next step in the next future is how I, i'd like to see since mirrorless feels a little bit more <clears throat> like the like this futuristic experience where you have a little bit of like a video game interface and a little bit of a phone interface I'd, I'd really love to see it at least in like how do we solve these real professional problems uh with some of these new tools and i think i think yeah um allowing for ease of backup um is is it's crucial. Cool. Okay. Well, yeah. that's that's probably a pretty decent place to, to wrap it. Were there any other points you wanted to kind of? Um, I, my main question for you is: Are, are you going to keep the R? Are you going to just write your review and send it back? You're pretty satisfied. Is, is it enabling anything that uh, the Sony isn't? Uh, yeah. I mean, again, um, so we're so baked in, and, and uh, that it could be the best thing in the, in the world. Um, and we wouldn't and keep not. it. Um, <laughs> yeah. we're so, you know, it's it, having to weigh like, okay, now it's camera versus my son's preschool. Okay. We're, we're going with preschool. Um, <laughs> okay, but yes. so the question is more about yeah. like, what will I miss? And I'll definitely miss the, uh, the 51 too. 
Um, but there's not, and and I will miss the articulating LCD, which we didn't even talk all that much about. But oh, yeah. The, the yeah. LCD is is so much better on our, the, you know, the first time I, like, figured, you know, used the Sony LCD, I was like, wait, why won't you do more? Um, and Yeah, it's, it's a weird thing, because the f- first few times I used it, I thought they made a completely wrong decision, because I was it's so set in my ways. But I, I do find now it's unbelievable that more... More cameras don't uh, don't have the selfie thing. I, I don't know. I hope I, my my fear is that it's it's meant as sort of a YouTuber uh, vlogging selling point, and that they won't have it in whatever professional iteration of the R comes out. <laughs> but uh, I, I hope that's not the case because yeah, once you get yeah. used to it, it's hard to ever go back to uh, just the one direction of every other camera's flippy screen. Yeah, I, and I never used it for anything like that, but it was it was so helpful in getting all kinds of different angles, you know, which which is a huge thing for any for in different ways for portraiture, but especially for uh, as a documentarian. Um, you know, the, yeah. always the you know what they always used to say that like one of the prerequisites of a good uh, documentary photographer is that if you look at their portfolio, you don't know how tall they are. Um, because you're not just always shooting from eye height, and it's just so much easier now, uh, you know, with digital cameras that that have articulating LCDs to have a really really good one like this is a, is a big deal. Those those are the two things that I'll miss. Kind of keep it, in, and I, I pro- even if it wasn't didn't have all these other pressures, I probably probably wouldn't either. And, and the, the main thing would be that that fifty, you know, to spend that money for like just just like one type of shot doing one type of thing. Uh, when there are some, like, for a lot of, like, documentarians, even just having the the, the tiny uh, 55 1.8, um, you know, is, is, is better um, it, yeah. other than one type of shot. I think my world is erupting here. With, <laughs> I don't know if you yeah, can, I can tell. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I'll, I will sign out. Um, but yeah, this has been, it's been a great talk because, uh, hopefully, uh, we, we bounced around a lot. We weren't using very it was an open-ended conversation, not much of an outline, but, uh, I, I hope no, I think it worked for people. Yeah. And I will close with, you know, it's, it's so sort of sad to realize both of us shot Nikon for so long and yeah. that was like mentioned, I think twice throughout <laughs> this entire discussion, which is I know. Sad because Nikon is trying to go you know, make the same moves. And I just, I personally could not be more disappointed. Uh, I, I doubt you've, have you even tried their, I, their you know, seven or six? Yeah. I haven't, I, like I said, I haven't been in the same room as it. And, and again, things always change. This is the first generation. Um, I mean, yeah. we, I, I remember, you know, I go back enough generations that I remember when Nikon had, terrible high iso like terrible mid-range iso and you know you if you needed iso at all you had to shoot canon um and and nikon was almost unusable in any kind of low light and then you know two years later if you ask somebody it was like boy i really wish canon had high iso like nikon um so you know so things can always change but yeah yeah it's not it hasn't it hasn't grabbed me yet so we'll see yeah same all right ryan Well, thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you so much. Have a good day.